Woo, how are we feeling today, guys? We feeling good? Listen, I got to preach real quick today, all right? So if you're taking notes, you should be taking notes. You can hop on this QR code right here and you can take notes. I want you to do that because I had, a, I had Tyler tell me the other the last week, those notes really helped me. Yeah, they do. They do. D- scan the code, get on the app, take the notes. I promise you, you're going to love it. But we've been in this series uh, called Unshakable. Y'all say Unshakable. Unshakable. We're, we're doing this series and it's about the kingdom of God. We're doing this series because there are things in your life that shake all the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's stuff that happens. There's stuff we all go through, like COVID or God forbid, an election year like we're about to have right now and stuff begins to shake a little bit, right? There's stuff that happens in your personal life that causes you to shake a little bit. Sometimes it causes you to shake a lot. And so what happens when we shake is really important. Where do you run when life begins to shake? Do you run to something you shouldn't run to or do you run to the unshakable kingdom of God? I'll tell you where I want to go. I want to go to the unshakable kingdom of God. See, there's this verse that's been like our home base. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot, y'all say cannot, cannot be shaken, not won't be shaken, it can't be shaken. Nothing can shake God's kingdom, right? And it says, hey, since we're receiving this kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful and let us worship God because, man, God is amazing. And when we realize truly that his kingdom's unshakable, it changes everything. But if you're like me, you like to control every aspect of your life. Now, let's just have, this is a church, this is a place where it's safe. You can be honest. How many of you would say, I'm a self-proclaimed, even reluctantly, a self-proclaimed control freak? Come on. Some of you raised your hands not reluctantly at all. I mean, it was like <laughs> me right here. I am. I, I am too. If you're like me, you're a control freak. And you like to control every aspect of your life as much as you can, right? But what happens when there's those things in life that you can't control? Right, like, because we all experience things that you, you, something, you might be amazing at controlling your life and, and controlling certain aspects of your life, but there are things that even you don't see coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are just some, some things that happen in life that you never saw coming. And uh, how many of you have an airplane story where the plane began to shake while you've been in the air? A little turbulence. Y'all ever had that? Everybody, if you've flown an airplane, you got an airplane story. Here's my airplane story. I was actually headed to, Stephanie and I were dating, and we were actually going, I was, she was interning at a church and spent some time in Baltimore, uh, interning at this church uh, in the middle of the summer, so I flew to Baltimore to go see her while we were dating. We weren't staying in the same place, all right, for y'all to get on me, it wasn't what was happening as much as I probably wanted it to at that time, but that's not what we were doing. Um, but I was going to see her, and at this point in my life, I was young, we weren't, I wasn't flying, we didn't fly places in my family. We drove everywhere, you know? Uh, so I'm on an airplane. I'm not afraid of flying. I'm actually amazed by flight. Like any time now that I fly, I'm like, I'm sitting in a chair flying 300 miles an hour right now. Like, or 700, I don't know how fast they go. I'm in a chair flying right now. That's pretty awesome, right? Like I think about it every time I fly. Well, this flight, we're, we're, we're landing in Baltimore. The flight starts to, to uh, descend and all that. And you know, when you're descending is when you're probably going to experience some turbulence because you're going through some clouds and you're going through some weather. Well, in Baltimore, it was a big old thunderstorm happening in Baltimore. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden the plane begins to shake. Not a big deal. But you can hear like the rattling. You know, you hear the rattle on it. And if you're afraid of flying, I'm so sorry right now. It's about to get worse. All right. So we're sitting there and I'm, 
I'm like, oh, it's shaking. Okay, no big deal. This happens all the time. And you always try to find the employee that's working, or maybe there's another pilot on your flight, right? And you're like, if he's not freaking out, I don't need to freak out, right? If they start freaking out, I might jump out the window. You know what I mean? Like, I might get out of this thing. And so the plane shakes, get an eye on this guy who's working for Southwest. He's fine. So I'm fine. Well, the plane begins to shake a little more. My man over here is still fine. So I'm fine. I'm like, all right, this is a little bit too much for me, but not too much for him. Well, then, guys, the plane begins to shake what I would like violently. All right? And I'm talking, I am white knuckling. (laughs) I, like at this point, I love the Lord. I don't think I was a praying man like quite like I am now. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm about to come see you. Like I need you on this plane right now. You know, I'm white knuckling. Well, then we hit some sort of air park and our plane begins to drop. I'm talking like free fall. I'm on tower terror at this point, right? It was falling long enough for everyone in the plane to start screaming and everyone's freaking out on this plane. Well, then it kind of catches and levels off. There was a collective and we started to applaud. That's what happened. We were like, yes, you know, we're so excited. I'm telling you, we ended up landing, and I'm like, I'm never flying again. I'm going to turn into John Madden. I'm going to be the guy on the bus. That's where I'm going to, that's how I'm going to get to places. Like, I was so, like, it shook me, right? And every time I fly now and I hit turbulence, I think about that moment because that was such a shaking moment. But that's how life is, right? Like, life, we all have an airplane story. We all have a life story that's like an airplane story where life hit you out of nowhere. You can be a control freak and stuff still happens to you. Now, I made it through the flight, and guess what? You can make it through the time of life where you're starting to shake. It might be a time that you're having right now, and maybe it's with your kids, or maybe it's with your marriage, uh, maybe it's with a job, or maybe it's with a past relationship. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, and and that relationship's rocky right now, and and it's weird with your kids. I, I don't know what your situation is, a health issue. Life will shake you. Lots of stuff in life actually shake us. And not only that, we also all have blind spots. How many of you, your spouse has ever pointed out a blind spot? I'm not talking about in your car. I'm talking about in your life. Your spouse has pointed out a blind spot that you've had before. Anybody? Okay. We must have some young married people in here because (laughs) your wife is telling you some blind spots that you have. You're like, no, I don't. That's a blind spot. Okay. Uh, Just this week, I started a new diet. Not not this week. I've been on this couple weeks. Started a new diet. And uh, it and Stephanie, where we got, I walk in the kitchen, I give her a hug and a kiss, and she says, "I'm gonna tell you something because I love you." (laughs) That's never good. So I've been doing something called a carnivore diet, all right? I'm almost 50 pounds down. I'm awesome. It's been awesome. Uh, Yeah, come on now. I said I'm almost 50 pounds down. Now, look at at that. Right? I I, I love it. It's been good. I'm in the phase now where I really, I'm loving life right now. It's awesome. But I get in there, and Seth goes, I need to tell you something because I love you. And typically that's like, she's about to just rip you to shreds on something. (laughs) And she was gentle. She says, your breath smells a lot worse now than it used to. And I was like... I have bad breath? What are you talking about? And apparently on this thing, like, it just makes your breath better. It was a blind. I didn't know that I had bad breath, but she did, and she told me. And I went that day. What did I buy that day? Gallon-sized Listerine mouthwash, baby. I'm like, it's not, and it, I don't have it with me. So if you 
come in contact with me. I'm so sorry. But you all have blind spots, right? Like even if we could see those blind spots, we tend to avoid it. You know, uh, that's what we call cognitive bias, right? There was a guy, won a Nobel Prize. His name's Daniel uh, Kahneman. And he actually won a Nobel Prize based off of this research that he did on cognitive bias. See, we all have blind spots and we don't even want to change even if we know something is like uh, the facts point to the contrary, right? Like, uh, and one of, there's actually two different, 200 different versions of cognitive bias. The one that you've probably heard of before is called confirmation bias. You've heard this before, right? And uh, we see this all the time. And it's, it's when you think something is true and even when you see clear evidence that points to the contrary, you still don't believe it. That that's what, and we have this in our lives, right? Like we have these blind spots where we know that something might need to change or we might need to adjust something in our lives, but we are so committed that we're going to do this our way that we just ignore the facts that point the other way. But thankfully that when you're part of God's kingdom, Jesus can actually come in because uh, this guy, this doctor, Daniel Kahneman, he actually says there's not a lot we can do about it. Like, hey, it's just good to be aware that you had this cognitive bias, but you know, you don't, you're really not going to change in the studies that he's seen. But we know that Jesus is coming and he can change anything. So I want to kind of poke at some blind spots that you might have today. And I want to kind of show you that there's probably a better way for you to live your life despite how you may feel. I, I want to I show you that today. You can change. And I hope that that is some good news for somebody in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can change. You can be a better dad. You can be a better mom. You can be a better employee. You can be a better leader. You can be a better person. And it's only because of Jesus. All right. And I want to show you that today. So today we're going to turn in your Bibles. If you got, who's got the real Bible? Come on, anybody show me your real Bible in here. Oh, we got a couple. Look at this. Got one in the back. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. You can turn there. I'll get to it in a second. And this houses one of the most famous verses in the Bible. What, what verse is found in John chapter 3? John 3.16. 3, Come on, who knows that? I'm not going to lie. We don't publicly like speak in tongues. That sounded like we were doing that just now. <laughs> and for saying like the most important verse in the Bible, we sounded pretty miserable about it. <laughs> for God's love in the world. They gave us all. No. We're going to get into that. I'm excited. I'm about to pump y'all up. Here we go. So I'm going to give you some context. All right, y'all need to be, y'all need, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Come on, we got to get some energy in here. All right, so we're going to talk about John chapter three, and it's probably one of the most famous conversations in the entire Bible. And it's a conversation between a guy named Nicodemus, y'all say Nicodemus, and a guy named Jesus. Y'all ever heard of that guy before, right? So there's these two dudes talking, and I want to get you some context around what's happening. See, um, this is found in the Gospel of John, and this guy, John, that wrote this Gospel, he was actually one of the closest friends of Jesus. So his Gospel is very different than the other three. See, in the Bible, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all pretty similar. They're called synoptic Gospels, okay? Then we get to John, and his is a little different because he didn't write it necessarily from a historical record. He wrote it from a personal point of view. He was, he actually refers to himself as the beloved one, like God's best friend. I don't even know if you can do that, but God let it be in the Bible. So I guess it's okay. So he, he's actually giving you not only what happened, but why it happened. So John will say, here's what happened. And then he'll give his little commentary on it because he was there for all of this. He was there talking with these people, interviewing them when he was writing all of this down. And so uh, the, 
the word kingdom that this whole series is about is only mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. It's, it's all throughout the other three Gospels. In John, it's only mentioned three times. Two of those times are in this passage that we're about to read. This is a very, very important passage. And so he's showing us what happened and why it happened. And so Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Now, who's Nicodemus? Let's look at this. It says, now, this is verse one, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. You can leave that up. I'm going to go verse by verse so you can just hang with me back there, Shelby. All right, so this guy, he was an expert. He knew everything about this book. He, and not the New Testament, the Old Testament. He knew everything. He knew all the rules. And if you've ever read through the Bible, my God, there's a lot of rules. All right. It's like an HOA contract, you know, just all kinds of, and he knew all the rules. He knew how high your grass could be before you get a notice. He knew like everything that made you look like a good Christian. He knew it. And he made sure other people knew it. And he made sure that other people, other people were doing it. And he would actually, he was called the teacher of all of Israel. So not only was this dude a, a Pharisee and a men, member of the ruling council, he was like the best preacher in all the land. You know what I mean? Like uh, he, he well, everybody knew who Nicodemus was. He was a big deal. And he was an expert. And so he actually thought he had all this thing figured out. And, uh, and I, I want to just, before we kind of get, uh, get going uh, more into the story, I want you to think about, if I were to ask you, what does it take to really have a relationship with Jesus. All right, I want you to think about this. What would it take for you to get into the kingdom of God? And I, if I asked you that question, I bet I would get one of these three responses, maybe multiple of these from you. And we, we look at like, all right, here's three things that how we think we have a relationship with God. And I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, Shelby. And the first one is this. We think that if we're going to get into the kingdom of God, if we want to have a relationship with God, the first thing we would say is we need to gain spiritual information. Right? Like, if we're going to get into the kingdom of God, we're going to gain spiritual information. That means I want to learn about things of God. I want to learn what the Bible says. I need to know more about this whole thing. Right? Like, I want to be an expert in knowing about this. You would probably say something like that, right? Like, I just need to know more. Uh, I, and, I, and let me tell you, I've been around a lot of people that know a lot of things about the Bible. This is, and they seem really close to God a lot of times, right? Like, um, but I think we're going to learn in this story. It's not about who knows the most. You can know a lot about God and not have a relationship with God. You can know a lot about a topic. Some of y'all, y'all know a lot about Taylor Swift. You don't know Taylor Swift. I don't care what era of your life you're in. Like you don't know her. You know a lot about her. You don't know her. And some of you, you know a little bit about Travis Kelsey, her boyfriend, who's playing at the Usher concert tonight. It's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm excited for it. But you don't know these people. You know about them. It's one thing to know about. It's, it's one thing to know, right? So that's the first thing. You might say, hey, I'm going to gain spiritual information. Or you might say, I, I think religious activity is going to help me get close to God. I think that that's going to help me have a relationship with God. I'm just going to do church stuff. I'm going to give church a shot. I'm going to come to church. Right, I'm going to be in the room. I'm going to do. The, I'm going to go on the medical mission trip and help the the kids in another country with certain things. Right, like I'm going to go do these things because they made me feel good and I want to make a difference. Right, like we think that doing those things is going to help us get closer to God. And listen, there's nothing wrong with those things, but none of those things are the basis by which God has a relationship with you. 
you can do those things and still not see the kingdom of God. And if you look at Nicodemus, Nicodemus was an expert. He knew everything. He knew everything about the Bible. He knew what you should be doing. He tried to model it in his own life. He was an expert, and he did a lot of religious activity. But as we see in this story, we're going to keep reading, he had it all wrong. And I think, listen, in the South, a lot of us have these first two things down. Man, we know about the Bible. We know Jesus. He died on the cross. We could recite John 3.16, even if it was with zero enthusiasm. All right, we can, we can do it. <laughs> We know the story. You're not going to find a lot of people here that don't know about God or know about Jesus, right? And we have a lot of people that show up to church. They'll, we call them CEOs. They're Christmas, Easter only. That's what they, they come on Christmas and Easter. They come on Mother's Day because mom is like, if you're going to go out to eat with me, you're going to church today, baby. You know, and they'll go, they'll go to church and all that. The South is riddled with people like this. But how many people actually know God? How many people in here actually know God? And the third thing you might say, and this is, you hear this a lot in culture, is what I would call personal spiritual expression. That's how you get close to God. Well, I think the Bible's great, but for me, I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to follow my heart. And here's the thing, that sounds noble. That is garbage advice. I don't know about you, I don't need to follow nothing that I want to do because it makes me overweight and be a mean person. That's how I am without Jesus. You know, like I'm just, and one of those I'm trying to still do. You know, like I, I'm trying. I, my heart leads me nowhere good. And I, I, there is no truth outside of the truth of God's word. But people say this a lot and, and, it, and it sounds great, but really it's something that's going to mess you up. So Nicodemus, he's dealing with all of these things and he comes to Jesus. And so that's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a guy that does a lot of that. He has a lot of uh, knowledge. He does a lot of religious activity and he has his own spiritual expression. But let's watch this conversation unfold. Verse 2, it says this, He came to Jesus at night. Now, why did He come at night? A lot of scholars would agree that He was embarrassed to go see Jesus during the day. He didn't want to be seen with Jesus. So He waits till nighttime, and He goes and sees Jesus, and He's by Himself. But He doesn't talk like He's by Himself. He came to Him at night, and then He says, Rabbi, listen, my group, the experts, we've been talking. And we just want you to know, you're good, man. You got our back. Like, we got your back. You're good. We've been talking. Uh, we know that you're a good teacher who's come from God. For no one could do the things that you do. Like, we see you doing these miracles, and you, no one could do that if God wasn't with you. And he's like, hey, think about how pompous and prideful this is. Tell me to the Lord and saying this. Hey, we've decided you get our stamp of approval. I'm Nicodemus, and I approve this message. Great job, right? Like, you're good. You know, hey, we got you. And Jesus does what Jesus always does in moments like this. Like, he, he's very complex. You see, this, Jesus almost seems, uh, I think dichotomy might be the right word, right? Like, he, he's, the li he's the Lamb of God. He's gentle. But he's also like the Lion of Judah, which means he ain't afraid to confront you a little bit. He ain't afraid to kind of step on your toes. And so he does this. That. He, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? I didn't even talk about this. Why did you bring this up? Because Jesus knows the heart of what he's about to say. He says, Nicodemus, I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much religious activity you do. I don't care what you think. You can't enter into my kingdom without being born again. I don't care 
who you are. I don't care how much of the rule, how many of the rules you keep, you can't do it. And so Nicodemus is thinking, and you have to think, he doesn't have the knowledge that you have. He's like born again. This dude's crazy. And he replies, he said, how can someone be born when they're old? I'm old. What are you, like, surely they can't enter in the second time into their mother's womb and be born, right? Like, he's, he's trying to understand this. And Jesus says, you're supposed to be like the preacher. Like, people, you're the, you're the teacher of all teachers in Israel. And you don't understand this very basic thing. What if I went deeper with you, Nicodemus? Like you wouldn't even be able to understand what I'm talking about. And so Jesus is challenging him. He's challenging everything about him. He's engaged with conversation in a conversation with someone he doesn't see eye to eye with. And he's not backing down. He's, he's, he's challenging the very belief of what they may have, of what Nicodemus believed up to this point. And I want to do that to you today. Because if you got real for a second, we're going to get into this a little bit more detail in a second. Have you really been born again? Or are you just playing this game where you just come to church because that's what you do? Or you read your Bible because you just think that's what a Christian would do? Like, or... Are you actually born again? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, you cannot experience my kingdom if you're not born again. And it doesn't matter how amazing you are. And so that's when we get into this conversation that you're all familiar with. John 3, 16. He looks at Nicodemus and says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but they'll actually have eternal life. And we, we, we stop there. Let's keep going. It's, this next verse is great. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's not coming to tear you down. He's not, he didn't come for that. No, no. He came so that he could save you, so that you could be born again and live a new way of life. And it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God and the God's only son. Jesus is making it very simple. I want to make it very simple to you. Here's the two options you have. The two things that you can say when you know this information. When you know the information that, hey, I can't see the kingdom of God unless I'm born again. Here's your two options. This is what Jesus is boiling it down to. Your option number one is this. All my hope is in Jesus and the kingdom. That's one thing you could say. That's one of your options. Hey, God, I receive this. My, I, I fully submit myself to this. God, would you do a work that only you can do inside of me? That's option number one. My hope is not in the government. It's not in a presidential candidate. It's not in the economy. It's not in my job. It's not in my bank account. No, no, no. My hope is only in you. And that's it. And that's the type of surrender and commitment that Jesus is looking for, by the way. He wants all of your hope. That's one option. The second option, I don't think anyone would say this out loud to Jesus, but your second option is very simple. Your second option is to say, well, I have a better way. Option one is, God, all my hope is in your kingdom. It's in you. Option two is, great. I like my plan, actually, and I like the kingdom I'm building. I, I like my friend's I'm going to do it this way. And I just, I know, I see this in this community. There's so many people that want to be close to the things of God, but they've taken option number two. 
They're like, I'll go to church. I'll read the Bible, but don't ask me to change my life. Don't ask me to, to change how I handle my money. Don't ask me to give. Don't, don't ask me to clean up my mouth. Don't ask me to stop watching stuff that I shouldn't be watching. Don't ask me to work on my anger issues. Don't ask me to, to actually apologize to my spouse. Like, don't ask me to hump. I, I'll do this thing a little bit, but I got a better way. So many people live that way. <laughs> And it doesn't work. It only destroys you. But Jesus is saying, I have a better way. And when he's talking about the kingdom, he's actually using the word where we get the word allegiance. And you know what allegiance means? Allegiance means God wants your commitment. He wants your loyalty. He wants your identification. He doesn't want you to, to identify as anything else. No, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in his kingdom. That's who I am. That defines everything about me. And when you start living that way, you start to see what God can begin to do and how unshakable that his kingdom really is. And that's what Nicodemus wanted to do. He wanted to add Jesus on to the life that he already had that existed. He was like, you know what? I think I can get with Jesus at night and I can talk to him. And maybe I can add a little bit of this right here into this way that I'm already living. But he wasn't necessarily willing to change at first. So many of us are doing that right now. Like we treat Jesus like it's a Chipotle line. And like, of course, we're going to get the steak and a little bit of Jesus. But I also want the brown rice and I want the black beans. If you're not doing it this way, something's wrong with you, right? I want, the, I want this, but no, no, no. Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's not something you add. This is who you become when you decide to follow me. That's what we're doing here. And so Jesus makes it very, I'm going to make it so crystal clear to you in here. Jesus says there's only one way to get into the kingdom of God. Listen, and it's to be born again. There's only one way to get into the kingdom of God, and it's to be born again. We don't like born again. Born again is drastic. It sounds out there. It sounds weird, right? We don't like the term born again because why? Because it requires you to do something different than you've been doing, and it actually changes you. But that's the only type of Christian there is. There's only born again Christians. There is no other version that's it. The people that are born again are the Christians. The people that are not born again are not. Because Jesus said, the only way is to be born again. That's the only way. And you're only born again through me. So I, I don't know how you were raised. I don't know what you were taught. This is what the Bible says. We don't, and we don't like it. Why? Because it requires something of you. I hate that, that people have taught uh, the church that you, God is going to like make everything disappear. You just got to give God time. That is true. But it does require something of you. And this is not, the Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. That was like an execution device. It didn't sound cute and fuzzy. It wasn't something they wore around their necks. Take up your cross. It requires something of you. It requires you to say no to some things that you love. And then it will require you to love some things that you used to hate. Why? Because you're born again. Something is new. So here's the question I'm going to look at today. What does Jesus want us to see about entering the kingdom of God? What does he want to see? The first one, I bet you can guess it is this. You got to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you got to be born again. It's, trash, it's drastic. It's a big deal. We like to ease into things. We like to try to work it out a little bit. No, no, no. 
Born again. It's a one-time thing. Boom. I'm born again, right? Born again. Here's what it means. It means that one life stops so that another one can begin. That's what born again is. One life stops so that one, a new life, can begin. And this is where you have no room to go, well, I'm going to do my church thing. My friends are kind of going to this church, so I'm going to go. But I'm going to just kind of sit on the sidelines. That's not born again. You, you got to be born again. It's very frustrating. And some of you have experienced this. It's frustrating to live a kingdom life when you haven't been born again. Because you don't have the power to do it. It's like pushing a car that didn't have gas. Like you can get somewhere, but why? <laughs> like put gas in the car and hit the pedal. You know, and some of us are living our Christian life that way. We, we want the kingdom of God experience, but we're not willing to be born again. We're not willing to end that life. Not ease it out, end it. Done. So that your new life in God's kingdom can begin. We have to be born again. And here's the second thing. And here's what I want you to look at today. When you're born, it's what Jesus wants you to see. You got to get into the kingdom. You got to be born again. But here's the second thing. If you want to get in the kingdom, there has to be clear evidence. If you think you've been born again and your life has not changed at all, I would tell you, you probably haven't been born again. I can't say that for sure. I'm not the Lord. I'm not you. But the Bible does teach us that your life is going to look different when you're born again. There's evidence. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't make the jokes you used to make. You love the things you used to hate, and you hate the things you used to love. God begins to do a work in you. And if you're not seeing that work happen, I would, and I'm not the type of guy that's like turn or burn, you know, I'm not trying to get everyone to question their salvation, but maybe some of you do. And you haven't like seen the change that God can bring in your life. I, I would tell you, I don't care how long you've been coming to this church. I don't care if you grew up in the South and you've been to church since nine months before you were born. You need to be born again. That's what the Bible is. It's what Jesus is telling you. Be born again. There's evidence for this. And I love this because he offered his kingdom. He was offering it not only to the religious elite and the experts, he was also offering it to adulterers and tax collectors. Someone in the IRS, guys, Jesus was offering the kingdom of God to them. He was offering it to people that people looked over and the down and out. And he was the poor and the people that had skin diseases that could get him sick. Like he was getting around these people. He was offering the kingdom of God to them. And he offers the kingdom of God to you no matter who you are. I love it, but he doesn't change his kingdom for anyone. He offers his kingdom to everyone without changing it for anyone. Yeah. God is not going to change his kingdom for you. God wants you to kill that part of your old self so that a new life can begin. That's what God wants. That God wants you to be born again. And when you do that, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be evidence that God has changed your life. Because that's who he is. He, he doesn't keep you where you are. He makes your life better. Will it require something of you? Absolutely. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes, but there's a difference between making some mistakes along the way than just staying in the same pattern over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think there are people in here, you might have thought, man, I've been bored. No, but I don't see the evidence. Well, today's your chance. Now, let's look at what happened to Nicodemus. So this happens in John chapter 3. And John just kind of leaves us hanging. Nothing happens. Jesus preaches like the sermon of his life. And Nicodemus just leaves. And we get no resolution. Well, we fast forward a few chapters. We're in John chapter 7. And the Pharisees, the group that Nicodemus is a part of, are mad at the Roman guards. And they're like, hey, we've told you to arrest this dude, Jesus. He's messing our stuff up over here. Why haven't you arrested him? And the Roman guards are like, we kind of like this guy. He's like, everyone loves this dude except for y'all. Like, everyone likes Jesus. We're not going to arrest him and kill him. And they get mad. Well, a man speaks up. He's one of the Pharisees. He speaks up and says, hey, why don't we give Jesus a chance, guys? You know who that man was? Nicodemus. Nicodemus began to change. And it says that his co-workers, his peers began to ridicule him and they begin to make fun of him, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is starting to show some evidence that maybe he has been born again. We didn't get to see that moment in the scriptures, but we see some evidence of it. Well, then fast forward to John uh, chapter 19. Jesus has come. He did what he said he was going to do. He died on the cross for your sins, and he's hanging there. And a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he buys a grave that they're going to put Jesus in, and they have to get Jesus off this cross to put him in the grave because Passover is coming and Sabbath is coming and they help. And there's a group of people that come and help Jesus get off this cross. One of those people is Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes and he helps Jesus get off this cross as a sign that like, and this didn't happen in the middle of the night. This happened before sundown. Nicodemus is now not coming to Jesus at night. He's coming to him in the middle of the day and saying, this man was the son of God. I'm going to go help him have a proper burial. I'm going to show him some dignity. Why? Because he matters and what he did was truly miraculous. That's what he believed in that moment. Nicodemus had the born again experience and his life reflected it in the Bible. And we miss it a lot of times. And listen, Jesus changed Nicodemus's life. And Nicodemus was a tough man to change, set in his ways. He was probably older. And he just changed. God changed him. And if he could do that for Nicodemus, he could do that for you. Because some of you are coming in here searching. Well, this is, you found it. The solution is be born again and let God do what only God can do. Because God will take you so much further than you ever thought was possible. But it all starts with you saying, I'm going to submit myself to your kingdom. Not my own way. I'm going to do life your way. Come on, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, God can do that in you. I would be a horrible pastor if I didn't give you an opportunity to get born again right now. And I don't, listen, I think God's moving right now. We're a little late. I talked too much earlier. I'm sorry. But I just thought no one move around right now. All right? Some of you, God is speaking to you. And you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit because your life has no evidence of being born again. But you've been playing the game. And you've been doing the thing of you're getting more knowledge about the Bible. You're doing religious activities and you, and you got some of it, but you've not been born again. Hey, today's the day. Super Bowl Sunday, 2024. 
I'm going to be born again. And I'm going to just give it all to God and see what he does with my life. If I'm talking to you right now and you've never done that and you want to do that today, come on, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, raise your hand. You want to do that? That's what it means. And if you got your hand raised, I want you to just pray this prayer in your heart. Say, dear God, I need you. I need to be born again. Would you come into my life and save me? I fully submit to your way of life. You are the king of my life. Every decision, every feeling gets filtered through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want you to sit there. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of you, you are born again. And you have allowed things of your life to creep in to your heart that you know aren't part of God's kingdom. Today's a day where you put a stake in the ground and say, God, I'm, I'm resubmitting my life. There's some things I've let slip, but God, I'm, I'm clearing that out today. This is yours. Come on, if that's you, just raise your hand in here. I just want to pray for you. There's some things you just need to, come on. God, I pray for these people. God, would you begin to work in their hearts? Would you begin to clean out what doesn't belong? And would you begin to reign in their life, God? God, we love you. Thank you that you love us enough to even give us this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.